the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Barnabas and Paul went down to Seleucia, and they caught a boat to Cyprus. They were on a moral move because the holy hands had been placed upon them, and thus they were moving into foreign lands to make a difference for the gospel. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled Holy Hands and Open Lands. That's Holy Hands and Open Lands. And remember that you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com at any time. That's reachingyourheart.com. There's many other messages there available for you as well. Let's get underway. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with Holy Hands and Open Lands. Today is Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father, we have no righteousness but the good and sweet righteousness of Jesus which visits us here in this place with the power of the living Christ and the Word of God so that we are sustained by love and grace in the journey to the kingdom of God. And we are grateful for this. As we open our Bibles today, Lord, give us Jesus. Give us Jesus not for our sakes only, that we might have open hearts and open hands for the lands that are here and around the world, that we would be an agent of grace to bring Christ back to earth. We thank you for hearing this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. When I was a teenager in Galax, Virginia, I felt the tug of God in my life at the tender age of 15. I could tell God was moving on my heart. Now, you know, the funny thing was I had dabbled with atheism, then moved to agnosticism a little bit. I was out of Christianity, really, in my practice. But I could feel God reaching out to me. And I didn't know at that time that my father was praying for me. He had just become a Christian. He had given his heart to Christ at Loma Linda University. He was praying before he died. He had a terminal illness that God would reach out across this land, find his children. He didn't even know where they were at. And he would connect them with him before he died. And somehow God would save his family. You see, as soon as he became someone who had come to Christ, he began to realize he must reach others for Christ. And when he prayed that prayer, God saved him first, and then he started moving on and saving us. And in time, our family was put back together by God's grace. I will never forget walking into his hospital room the first day of academy and discovering that my father was alive, discovering that he had prayed me into that room and that providence had found me. I met my father that way, and I met God that way. Sometimes when we pray and worship, we forget that prayer and worship is more for others than for ourselves. We think it's all about us. We put our petitions before God. We say, God, I want this fixed. I want that sorted out. And we don't realize that when the heart of God moves on our heart to pray, that we are in our most awesome moment of prayer, praying for others. 
God wants to save us so we can be used to save others. That is why we lift holy hands in prayer and we fast to God, not so that we can look good or look perfect enough, so that God can move upon our hearts to move other hearts and that people can be saved. The early apostolic church learned that nothing happens of importance in the plan of God without prayer. Do you hear me? There is nothing that we achieve that has lasting significance unless we are on our knees. They prayed all the way as they claimed their world for Jesus Christ, and they claimed it with vigor. They said, Lord, give me this brother, this sister. Give me this part of the earth for the sake of the cross of Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 13, verse 1. Acts 13 will be the focus of our study today. Amazing verse as it introduces this. This chapter follows the persecutions that were inflicted on the early church at the time of Herod there who took the life of James. In verse 1, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. The challenge in Acts 13 starts with the fact that God had poured out his Holy Spirit on the early church. As the Spirit filled the church, it was persecuted. Now God poured out his Spirit on the church so that the Great Commission could be realized, that the gospel could be given in Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Jerusalem, in short order, failed to be the center of Christianity. As persecution hit the early church, they moved out. And in time, the city of Antioch, the church at Antioch, became the vital center of the Christian church. That church at Antioch was the model for what every church in our denomination should be like, including the Reaching Hearts International Church. We should model our existence after the church of Antioch. It was a loving church that cared about the family of God, that cared about the weak, the sick. Visitors were cherished. Converts to the church were nurtured. It was a giving church that expanded the cause of God. People reached deep into their pockets for bold missionary endeavors. It was a mentoring church that developed leaders and missionaries. Saul became Paul. He became the great evangelist because a great local church mentored him as a younger man. It worked with troubled talent. Saul was one of those people. He had been a murderer. He had afflicted the church. And with the love of that local church, Saul was empowered to become a missionary evangelist. Everyone in our church would have loved to have belonged to the church at Antioch in Syria. It was a marvelous place to be. Verse 1 says there were prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, are prophets necessary? Now, let me just say this. If God had not moved upon a prophet in the 19th century, this church would not exist. Are you with me? This church was given the testimony of Jesus at the end of the longest time prophecy of the Bible to bring it into existence, to confirm the great prophecies of Daniel. The early church, we're told by Gibbon in his fall and decline of the Roman Empire, that the early church was sustained by prophets in every congregation. They had counsel. The Holy Spirit was guiding that missionary-driven church so that it would expand. And in our church, we should value the spirit of prophecy because it is the voice of God to the remnant church. There were real prophets, not the self-appointed kind that plays prophet when they aren't prophets. Now, I've watched the television. You have too. Sometimes these televangelists will get up and they'll say, well, the Lord has given me a rhema. You ever hear that? A word. And then what they're really saying is, I'm a prophet. Well, I'm telling you, the bar for being a prophet is very high. You have to really hear the voice of God. You have to really, really hear it. And when you write stuff, it better be chiastic. 
Did you hear me? Because the mind of God is in the mind of the prophet. So we want the real kind leading God's church in difficult times, not the fake kind. And the real kind has the test of prophecy. It leaves a legacy in the church where there's a love for Jesus and the Word of God. The church doesn't need false prophets. Barnabas' name in Hebrew means the son of a prophet. Probably his dad had this notion that he was a prophet. But in God's providence, Barnabas becomes the real thing. The son of the prophet gives rise to this man Barnabas, who is a prophet of God. Simeon's name in Hebrew means to hear. Samuel has the same name. It's just a different spelling. Samuel was a prophet boy who said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Prophets speak for God because prophets listen to God. Prophets were teachers of God's word, and they knew how to share God's word. I mean, if you separate a prophet from the Bible, you have a false prophet. A prophet builds up the church by the explanation and the leading of God in Scripture. False prophets mishandle the word. They act like some impression is a message from God. And thus they lead the church to think that when a sudden feeling rushes upon the church, suddenly the church must act upon it. Every prophet must be tested by the word of God. The Bible says Simeon, in the list, he was called Niger. Now I have been enamored with this name. Niger literally means black. He was from the continent of Africa. Simeon's name is an alternate spelling for Simon. Now connect the dots with me. There's strong contextual evidence, in fact, overwhelming evidence, that Simeon, who was called Niger, is Simon of Cyrene. He is the man who carried the cross of Christ. He found his place right there at the church of Antioch. Simeon, called Niger, was an African leader in the early church. And the early church honored this man from Africa because he made a difference as the man who carried the cross of Christ. The man who carried the cross carried the cause of God. He became a church planner. He was in the business of making a difference for God's work. The early Christian church had learned that there is no place for racism. That church valued God's people from every continent. And Christ had honored Simon of Cyrene, who was here with a slightly different spelling described, who had carried the cross. Now it was his burden to carry the church forward. Every child of God is a brother and a sister in Christ. And so we meet at the foot of the cross, and Simon of Niger carried the cross. It was for good reasons that Simon carried the cross, and we must carry our cross too. Now, closely connected to the name of Simon is the name Lucius. And here's the clue. It says Lucius was also from Cyrene, which means that Simeon of Niger was of Cyrene, which makes him Simeon of Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene. This is the man who carried the cross of Christ. Lucius' name in Latin means light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so in that continent of Africa, it was named after dark. In the language of the time, it was the place of light. God used honest-hearted people from northern Africa to open up Syria to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a whole lot of light came from that continent. Missionary-minded people from Africa evangelized the Jewish northern region of Syria, of Roman Syria to make a difference, to plant vital churches for Christ. Menaean was of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. He was a sought-out leader in the Roman world. His name in Hebrew means comforter or counselor. And so we see the Holy Spirit moved on different kinds of individuals. Certain ones had the gift of leadership. Others had the gift of sound counsel. God gives wisdom to counselors in the church. Saul, who would later be named Paul. Now, when you look at the list, it's very apparent that Saul's name comes last. Barnabas is first. Saul is last. Saul, who would later be named Paul, was the last on the list in Acts 13.1. 
Saul in Hebrew means to ask. Saul was a persecutor who had hurt the church and turned God's people in for death. Now think about this. But that little church helped him start over, helped him reconstruct his life journey, helped him develop a testimony to make a difference. The church forgave Saul because Jesus did. And Saul asked for a chance in Jesus' name to start over. So his name means to ask. These were the people who led the church at Antioch in Syria. No doubt there were others not mentioned who made a real difference. But these are the key leaders, the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch. The secret of the church of Antioch's success is found in verse 2. Take your Bibles, go to the next verse. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You'll notice in verse 1 that Barnabas is the first person on the list and Saul is the last person on the list. We should pay attention to that. Barnabas was at the top, Saul at the bottom. We have the natural pecking order of the leadership structure of the church. The Holy Spirit moved on that early church to establish a mentoring relationship with Barnabas, who was the lead, and Saul, who was the tail. He put them together so Saul could learn from Barnabas. In time, Saul would become the prominent force in the Christian church, but he wouldn't have got there without the help of Barnabas, who mentored him. Sometimes we think, well, leaders just happen. No, they don't. Leaders are the product of deliberate mentoring in the church. I do a lot of things in my life journey here at Reaching Hearts, but I'll tell you, I spend a lot of my time mentoring. I take younger men fishing. Has anyone here been fishing lately? Yes. Raise your hand. Okay. And I plan to do more of it. Jesus took his disciples fishing. But there's something about mentoring, spending time in prayer and having fun together with younger people that creates a bond between the generations. So in time, Barnabas had mentored Saul to become Paul. The name Paul means small. You see, even though he became a new leader, even though he got a new name, he was known as the little guy. He wasn't the big guy in the church of Antioch. He was the last on the list, maybe short. And Paul means small. And here we learn the secret of Paul's greatness. He never forgot that he was small. He didn't act like he was big and significant. In his humility, he could serve God in any capacity. I want to tell you right now, it's an honor in this church to serve God in any capacity. If I'm called upon to clean the bathrooms, I will do it. Because it's an honor to serve God. If I have to mow the yard from time to time, I will do it. And if God should ever replace me here with grace, I would say thank you for the time I've been here. The point is this. Our churches, our gatherings are not about great leaders. It's about the opportunity to serve God. It's a privilege. Great men and great women are always small in their own eyes to be great in God's eyes. So Saul, who was named to ask, was renamed Paul, which means little or small, And so he took his little stature, his sense of insignificance, his love of Jesus, and he reached out to save the Roman world for Jesus Christ. Paul was proof that a pure failure can start over in the church. And the church of Antioch took delight in mentoring the likes of Saul, who would become the greatest apostle this world has ever seen. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 2-3. Paul is writing this about himself. He had a hard time being accepted in the early church. He says, To others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. 
What he's saying is, look, most people don't even accept the fact that I'm an apostle, but you do. So be easy on me. They were giving him a hard time in the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He never forgot what he did. And he remembered it was a privilege to serve God in light of his sin. Ephesians 3, 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says it's a privilege to serve God as the smallest and least of the apostles because I have the opportunity to show Jesus to the world. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. As they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit told the prophets in that place to set apart Barnabas and Saul to work together as a team for a special mission from God. And thus begins the first missionary journey of Paul. God calls men and women in the church, every one of us, In his own unique way, he calls us to make a difference in service that will affect the salvation of sinners. He doesn't ask us to join a church so that we can just take up space doing nothing. He asks us to engage other people with our lives, our love, our knowledge of the Word of God for the salvation of men and women. God has called us, everyone, for service and mission to make a difference like Barnabas and Saul. And so if you're here in the church, you're not an ordinary person. In God's eyes, you are an extraordinary person set apart for a miraculous reason. You have a purpose to be in the church, a reason to exist. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, I'll be very frank here. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we are not to take our time in obeying the Holy Spirit mandate. We are to obey decisively and do what he says. Acts 13, 3. It says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And what did they do? As soon as they did that, what does the text say? They sent them off. As soon as they were empowered by the laying of the hands, these men went out on a journey, a missionary journey. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The beginning of Paul's first missionary journey would change the world forever. It was Christianity on the move. It was that vital church congregation reaching out to its world to affect it for Christ. So the man who was named to ask was on the move to make a difference as the little man of God who became the greatest of all the apostles. The Bible says they laid their hands on them. Now, you've noticed that reaching hearts, we do that. When a person has been called to service, we pray. They have come forward. We lay hands on that person at baptism and also when special needs are present so that God's blessing will be given. Why do we do this? Well, we find it in the Old Testament when they laid hands on people. In the book of Leviticus, the priest would lay hands on the head of a sacrifice destined for slaughter. You know, a lamb was going in to be killed. They'd lay hands on its head. Why the connection there? 
You see, every missionary in the New Testament was a sacrificial laborer for Jesus Christ. A lamb goes as a sacrifice. It goes as a sacrifice. When the priest put his hands on that sacrifice, he was dedicating it to God fully. And so we should never forget that when hands are laid on us in service, that we are saying, Lord, if it takes my life to serve you, I will serve you, mind, body, and soul. We are a living sacrifice. Numbers 8.10, the congregation of Israel laid hands on the Levites who served in the sanctuary. By doing so, they recognized that every believer must support the service of the Levites. In Deuteronomy 34.9, Moses laid hands on Joshua's head. And thus we see the relationship between a teacher and a mentor. He laid hands on Joshua to invest him with power to lead the congregation of Israel. So the early church did the same thing. They took people that God had set aside and they recognized it by the laying on of hands. The book of Hebrews tells us this is a foundational teaching of the apostolic church. Acts 13.4 says the Holy Spirit sent them out. Sometimes we think the church sends people. Sometimes we think a committee sends people. When people are really sent, the Holy Spirit sends them. The Spirit sent them out and the church recognized the importance of the mission by the laying on of hands. And by so doing, the church of Antioch demonstrated that it was vitally connected to every single member who was serving God. Barnabas and Paul went down to Seleucia, and they caught a boat to Cyprus. They were on a moral move because the holy hands had been placed upon them, and thus they were moving into foreign lands to make a difference for the gospel. Look at verse 4 of Acts 13. The Bible in verse 4 says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, who's the John in this verse? Does anybody have an idea? Who do you think the John is? Do you think it's the John who wrote the Gospel of John? Don't raise your hand too quickly. There's another John in the book of Acts. What's his name? John Mark. And that's who this John is. The John in verse 5 is John Mark, who would later write the Gospel of Mark. It's a good thing they call him Mark instead of John Mark. We get the two Gospels mixed up. John Mark's mother was Mary of Jerusalem. And the apostles and others were praying in Acts 12 when the angel released Peter from prison. So his mother was a prayer warrior. And I've seen prayer warrior mothers. They want their children involved in the cause of God. Perhaps she said one day to John Mark, John Mark, you need to get out there and win a soul for Jesus. I'm sending you out of the house. And John Mark went. Probably knew Barnabas. In time, he became part of the team. John Mark was an unseasoned young person who quit shortly after he started. But in time, he learned to have depth of character because Barnabas mentored him. Barnabas and Paul started by reaching out to the Jews in the synagogues. Why did they do that? Because God loves the Jewish people. In my associations, I have a number of Jewish friends. I find them easy to talk to about the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nebaim, the prophets, the Ketuvim, the writings. My father-in-law was getting some dental work just last week. It's run by fine Jewish dental experts and the receptionist has a personality that's out of this world and she stopped me and I said ma'am I read the Hebrew Bible she says what do you mean you read the Hebrew Bible I said I do she said well here read this and she gave me a book on rabbinical tradition I read it right there in the foyer the school of Hillel and the school of Shaman we begin to talk about the Torah 
I asked her about you know, Genesis 15.1, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, I says, who is the word of the Lord here? She says, oh, I don't know. You know. It was an interesting interaction. Wonderful personality. She says, we Jewish people, we love to party with religion. We like to have our gatherings and to have festivals and this kind of thing. And we struck up a friendship. You can never win someone you never interact with. And so I use what I know to relate and others. I have been in certain situations where God has moved on me. I went to a guitar center a year ago, a fine Jewish man whose wife was dying of cancer. And he came there and he began to open up to me in the guitar center about his need for meaning in his life. And we prayed right there at the guitar center. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Of course, we talked about how Jesus was a good Jew. And he could accept that part of it. And I prayed in Jesus' name. And there was a bond. We should open our lives to friends. Barnabas and Paul were not afraid to go to synagogue because God had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would reach these dear children for the gospel. Well, we'll pick up with holy hands and open lands. Today's Reaching Your Heart, the next time we get together. We thank you so much for listening here today. Remember that if you missed any portion of this broadcast here on the radio, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.